Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. I'm Charlie Wright, and we'd like to welcome today for the second time, Dr. Kevin Mirabile, a professor of finance at the Gabelli School of Business at Fordham University, where he teaches courses on finance and alternative investing in hedge funds. He's the author of the recently published book, Exotic Alternative Investments. He speaks to us from New York City. Dr. Kevin, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you, Charlie. Great to be here. So, Kevin, uh, you were educated uh, starting at uh, State University of New York in Albany, Boston University, uh, where you got your doctorate in um, the Doctrine of Professional Studies from Pace University in New York, all in finance-related subjects. Uh, you've got a background that includes senior executive positions at Barclays, Orca Asset Management, et cetera, et cetera. And you've been at the Gabelli School now. This is your 11th year. So let's start with a brief background of yours here. Well, as you said, my professional degrees were in accounting, economics, international business, and, and finance. The first 30 years of my career were in various sales and trading and investment roles. And I became interested in education as a, as a tool, first as a tool for selling, uh, and then as a tool for uh, teaching. So I migrated to full-time uh, academia in 2011, getting my uh, doctorate degree uh, at age 46 uh, after going back to school uh, at Pace University uh, in New York. So, so Kevin, let's, let's start at uh, 30,000 foot level here. This is the second book you've written, the second time we've had you on the show. The first was on hedge funds. This one, again, is on uh, exotic alternative investments. So in writing these books and then in promoting them, marketing them, et cetera, what have you learned that you really didn't expect to see or learn before you started these two projects? Well, one thing is that it's certainly a lot of work. You know, Fortunately, with the uh, time away from the university, I had the opportunity in the spring and summer during the lockdown to spend a lot more time uh, on the new book. Uh, the second thing is that people love to talk. So if you get people uh, and give them an opportunity to talk about what they do, it provides a tremendous uh, depth of, of knowledge that my job, obviously, is to translate that into a format that is easily understood. Uh, one of the pleasant surprises I had in doing the research for this book was to see how investment products and people in the alternative arena evolve through time. The three editions I wrote on the hedge fund book were each different, and they each cited innovation related to investing in hedge funds. But my interest in exotic alternative investments was really an outgrowth of the conversations I started to have with the hedge fund community about what's next, what's new, and what's different. Because as you know, Charlie, in many ways, hedge funds haven't really produced the kind of returns and portfolio effects that they once did. These new and exotic alternative investments provide investors with some of the 
correlation benefits and diversification benefits that hedge funds once did. You know, I uh, I can concur everything you say here. First of all, hedge funds uh, have struggled, and probably that that was much easier to write because I I am I have your book right in front of me. I have read it, and uh, <laughs> it is it required one heck of a lot of work, Kevin. I've got to congratulate you. It is very very thorough, and uh, just very interesting on uh, investments that. Uh, you don't see very often uh, in the industry. Well, was it difficult to uh, call the list down? And there's about 20 on here, um, different investments. Was it difficult to, to eliminate some? Uh, how, how did that work? You know, it's a great question, Charlie. Because the universe of collectibles and exotic financial instruments is so wide, I had to develop some form of a paradigm or methodology for screening investments before they made it to the book. And what I said to myself was, what is the value proposition? Is it compelling? Is it going to expand or grow over time? Is there a way to buy and sell the asset easily with some liquidity? Is there a public or a third party valuation model so I could price the asset? And probably most importantly is, is there a benchmark that if I choose to buy one of these exotics, I could compare my performance to to see how I'm doing. And many of the categories in the book, or all of the categories in the book make that cut, but there are many that did not. Just to keep it simple, you know, collecting Cabbage Patch dolls or Beanie Babies <laughs> may be a novelty of interest. <laughs> You might be able to sell them at a higher price than you paid, but they don't, they don't meet the test. Yeah, I don't see baseball cards on here either, Kevin. Or are they under collectibles? Is that what like they Under collectibles, we include a category of trading cards, and it'll be important when we discuss in a little more detail why I say trading cards as opposed to just baseball cards. Okay. So, Kevin, I, I'm on the uh, the contents page here. Uh, let me go through and quickly name, uh, you know, m many of the uh, uh, of the 20 different investments so that our listeners will know what we're talking about. So we're talking about um, artwork, which is, you know, you'd expect artwork in here, life settlements, kind of expected, litigation finance, intellectual property, insurance leaks, securities, and weather derivatives. That was a new one for me. Tax liens, tax credits, aircraft leases, storage units, trade claims, esports, gaming, franchises, entertainment, farmland, timber, water rights, air rights, uh, crypto assets, obviously, collectibles, uh, etc. So, uh, first of all, what do you believe that you now understand about these investments? that you wish that more investors and even advisors better understood? Like, I guess, firstly, that they're worth the time to research because the results may in fact be counterintuitive. Some of these assets seem riskier, more complex, and perhaps more costly to trade. If you examine what's happening, some of those statements are true, but in fact, it's getting easier. So for example, the premium you could earn on taking on perceived complexity 
Let's look at life settlements, for example. It sounds complicated to assemble a portfolio of individual life insurance contracts to buy them at a price that's higher than cash surrender value in anticipation of receiving the face value. But when you boil it all down, you have a portfolio of receivables or payments from AA rated insurance companies. And if you could earn seven to 9% on a 10 year portfolio of AA rated bonds, please show me, cause you can't. Right. So, you know, this complexity is more of a, a myth. Uh, one of the goals in the book was to kind of demystify it. And I want advisors to understand that if you go through these categories systematically, you're going to find some gems that will help your portfolios. Taken as a whole, if you look at all of the categories in the book, I created a composite and the composite achieved about a 40% return over the 2016 to 2019 period with only a 20% standard deviation and a correlation of 0.5. So there is a, a prize at the end of the process, which is the portfolio benefits of putting these seemingly risky asset classes into your uh, overall portfolio. So on that, Kevin, let me ask without getting too far into the weeds, I mean, uh, average returns can <laughs> uh, can be misleading in, in many ways. Did, did you find uh, a very significant difference that, that, you know, there were investments pay, paying one to 200% over that period and others losing uh, 20 to 40%? Or were they fairly consistent? And are you talking, I presume you're talking about the indices that you use to compare them to? You know, first of all, with what we'll now call traditional alternatives, private equity, hedge funds, and real estate, you are seeing the exact yeah. effect that you're referring to, that the average performance of these asset class is rather poor. However, there's tremendous dispersion within the category. So if hedge funds okay. produced a 15% return in 2020, <clears throat> though the best hedge funds produced an 80 to 100% return in 2020. And the worst went out of business. Uh, right. We haven't seen that kind of dispersion in a long time. And with these exotics, what we're seeing is the average performance is actually quite compelling, both of managers and using the indices, because some of these markets are very young. And there's uh, not a lot of capital flowing into the opportunity set. And when you have this imbalance between demand for capital and supply of capital, you're able to have performance that is more tightly uh, dispersed around the mean. Obviously, there are portfolios that can be assembled in the area of art in collectibles that perform better or worse than others. There are portfolios of insurance link products that do better or worse than others. But at this juncture, the industry is still pretty inefficient. So we are seeing returns that are compelling or risk profiles that are compelling more across the board right now. O over time, I suspect the same thing will happen. There'll be standout performance categories within a sector and there'll be laggards within a sector. Okay. Kevin, appreciate that. And, and that's a great insight, really. So let's focus on a few of these. So start with one for us, will you? Sure. You mentioned uh, baseball cards earlier. So let's broaden the category a little bit and talk about trading cards as a collectible. It's been around for years. However, it's only been fairly recently 
that we've seen the emergence of multiple competing online trading platforms where you can buy or sell an individual card with a certified condition. You could also build a portfolio of cards. In other words, traditionally people bought cards in the sports and for of the teams that they followed. They invested with their heart, not with their mind. I'm talking about now being able to track an index produced by a third party provider that values a portfolio of cards over a five, seven or 10 year period and compares it to the performance of the S&P 500, both in terms of return and volatility. So what you'll find is a diversified portfolio of trading cards has done better than a portfolio of stocks and it's offered a relatively low uh, degree of correlation. I mentioned before about life settlements, how you can generate a yield on what's essentially a fixed income instrument of five, seven, eight percent, but take on the risk of a double A instrument. That's a high risk adjusted return. That acts more like a bond. The third category was kind of interesting are some of these breakout categories that relate to changes in consumer behavior, some of the trends or mega trends that have been started as a result of COVID-19. Uh, that category includes esports and online gaming. You'd be really surprised to find out that online tournaments where players play the game Fortnite have exceeded an audience of viewers that is larger than the NBA Finals, the World Series, and all but a handful of Super Bowls. And you and I probably don't play video <laughs> games. And you and I probably don't um, gamble, uh, or maybe we, we, we do, but we do so moderately. Uh, but just because we don't participate in that lifestyle doesn't mean we can't avail ourselves to investments that deliver those returns. Kevin, that, that, that is fascinating. Uh, I, I have read articles about Fortnite, and I have a couple of grandkids <laughs> who have been into it to some degree. And I've read about how parents hire actually tutors or coaches to uh, teach these kids how to play. But I had no idea that they were that popular. So, you know, so to tell us briefly how, how somebody would invest to take advantage of, 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 of Fortnite. Well, for example, there's an ETF called symbol uh, N-E-R-D, nerd. <laughs> really? <laughs> that ETF holds a, a diversified portfolio of gaming providers, of teams, so people organize themselves as a team, and rather than owning a piece of the LA Lakers, you own a piece of Team ABC that competes in Fortnite or other online tournaments for cash prizes. Some of these cash prizes are as large as the winners of a golf tournament. So it's, it's the traditional sports franchise model that you can access in these new and different types of sporting events. So that is one um, ETF that is available. There are several uh, others. You could also take stakes in online exchanges. They actually offer you opportunities to take an equity stake in an individual sports figure. 
So you can buy a percentage of Steph Curry's lifetime earnings. Right. So there's a, a lot of innovation occurring uh, too much for one uh, individual uh, radio interview. But this is why I encourage people to look and become familiar because there's a lot out there. That, that, that is fascinating. Now, now the, the, the one, the ETF you mentioned, that, that's publicly traded. Uh, not all of these are publicly traded, correct? So how, how does somebody get involved in something that isn't publicly traded? Well, staying with the esports theme, a lot of the groups that are organizing and trying to collect players, maybe like your nephew, uh, to join their team, right? Those teams are being organized as um, startups, venture capital. So there's a number of VC outfits that are channeling money to organize players to compete for tournament dollars. Or there's a number of VC plays to create uh, platforms and products that can play the games faster and better. Our laptop computers and our desktop computers and even the chairs you and I sit in, Charlie, are not suitable for the level of engagement that an online competitive uh, esports player needs. So there's a lot of product innovation and a lot of those startups come through venture capital. This is fascinating stuff. I mean, it really is. It's, it's kind of Star Wars things for investments, you know. Um, the, uh, and, and I presume that uh, these markets are, are very legitimate and that, uh, I mean, nobody's guaranteeing, obviously, that uh, you can't lose money through inappropriate activity by somebody. But, but, you know, it sounds like they're, they're stable markets that, that should have a, a fairly comfortable level of confidence. I mean, it's coming on quickly. You know, so you're referring to the infrastructure around an investment. Right, community. right. You, know, you need to know that when you buy something, you're going to get exactly what you paid for. So collectibles need to be certified. You need to know that the uh, storage of a painting or a fractional interest in a painting that you purchase is adequate to ensure that that painting five years from now retains its value. One of the fascinating developments is that the market for lending money against many of these asset classes, particularly in collectibles, is exploding, uh, booming in terms of growth. There are a couple of platforms. One is called yieldstreet.com that offer a fractional interest in one of these types of exotic investments from the perspective of a financer. So for example, a portfolio of modern art. If you are an owner of a portfolio of modern art and you wanted to raise money to finance that portfolio, retail investors can now participate in those loans and earn attractive rates of return from seven to 10%. And these are platforms that have been through the test of time now for at least two to three years that have real, you know, legitimate founders and capital. So the book outlines a number of these platforms. Each investor has to do their own due diligence, but I wanted to point people in the right direction and let them know that the infrastructure for these products is rapidly uh, developing. Kevin, again, this is very interesting stuff. Let's take one that's a little closer to home uh, for for so many people, and that is farmland, timber, water rights, and air rights. 
Uh, I think I read in the Wall Street Journal just the other day that timber has really taken off this year. I, I don't focus on that. I, I can't confirm it, but this article talked about how it has uh, increased uh, significantly. So if somebody wanted to get involved in that, uh, you know, water rights, air rights, you know, farmland timber, what, what, how does that work? Well, farmland and timber are two of the more developed uh, products within the portfolio of these exotic alternative investments. So, for example, you could go to uh, the New York Stock Exchange and buy symbol FPI if you wanted exposure to farmland. You could uh, go to the New York Stock Exchange and buy a number of ETFs related to uh, timber investment management organizations. Those are companies that manage uh, forest assets. But what's, again, kind of novel is, particularly in California, there's an organization called AcreTrader.com. And they will identify an individual farm that grows row crops. And apparently row crops are a very attractive investment compared to permanent crops because you can switch what you're growing from year to year and grow things that are in the highest demand. Be that as it may, you can buy... Um, a $5 million farm, a $25 million farm, but you could put up a fractional interest. In other words, they de-aggregate the farm into individual lots of maybe 1,000 investors. So you could own a one 1,000th interest in a portfolio of uh, row crop farms, and you can diversify by state, you can diversify by zip code, so you can create a portfolio that really is very different than being a equity investor in a farm in a particular county or a particular state. So there's a lot of innovation in those areas. And they're interesting, too, because, you know, farmland and timber, those assets regrow. Right. So they're self-populating assets that the land, if you treat it properly, remains fertile. The trees that you're growing uh, come back every one, three, and five years. So they're, they're very different than some of the other things that we include. And they offer hybrid exposure that has both income and depreciation. You know, Kevin, the more you talk, the more I realize that uh, what you're talking about is is very, it sounds like in, in the cases you brought up, it's very manager-driven. And it's not just a matter of, well, we're going to buy, you know, a bunch of farmland or, you know, timber, uh, you know, on the open market kind of thing. No, no, no. These are specific geographical areas where you're doing things. And even in the um, esports and and the like, they're very management driven. So how does somebody do the research needed or, or art? You know, you, you don't just want to buy, well, you know, take the last 25 pieces that, uh, you know, somebody sold here. Uh, how does somebody research to determine how good a, a management is at doing this? You raise a very interesting point because this market is, is evolving from direct investment. I own a painting. I own a farm to commingled investment or fractional investment. And that re absolutely requires third party management. And it's, you know, it's very similar to the type of due diligence that I would have recommended in my uh, hedge fund or private equity or venture capital research. Now, you have to do the work. You have to look at the manager's uh, expertise in the underlying area. You have to look at 
the uh, time frame that they've been doing this. Were they an early adopter or are they a Johnny come lately? You have to look at some of their uh, performance and you have to look at what's actually in the portfolio. And you have to have a really good discussion about downside risk and liquidity. I will point out that while there are more and more public vehicles like ETFs and publicly traded uh, corporations that engage in some of these activities, uh, the um, ability to uh, gain immediate liquidity uh, is not yet there, right? We're still talking about investments that you need to have a 18 month to 24 month, perhaps even a 36 to 60 month time horizon. These are not quick hit investments. Right. I can see that. Kevin, we could talk about this all day. I, I wish we could. Uh, before we move on, one, one last question here. If you had written this book five years ago, how different would it have been? You know, if I had written the book five years ago, it would have been very short. There, there wouldn't have been as many categories that pass this lit, litmus test of can you trade it? Can you value it? Is there a benchmark to compare it to? And are there legitimate experienced managers offering products that the uh, qualified investor community can access? And so can, can we interpolate from that that five years from now, you could write volumes on this stuff? Without a doubt. I mean, I think the, the number of asset classes that qualify is going to grow. And, you know, there'll be more and deeper analysis of the ones I've covered so far. You know, while I'm proud of the work covering the period 2016 to 2019, we do need a little bit of a longer history to determine whether the properties I've observed are going to be maintained over time. I was pleasantly surprised that during the March period of 2020, many of these uh, asset classes displayed their low correlation to stocks and bonds and actually outperformed relative to traditional alternatives and to the S&P 500. Yeah, even traditional alternatives did not do well uh, in March of 2019 there. So I, I understand what you're saying. So, Kevin, uh, moving on a little bit here, what, what is the best advice you've ever heard or read about investing? You know, I can keep this simple because it's a very short statement that I do often repeat to myself. And it's, you really need to invest for the long term based on significant macro trends. Now, go with the flow of the markets or consumer behavior uh, and leverage you know, innovation and shifts and tastes and preferences and ignore short-term volatility. It's much easier said than done. Uh, and it's certainly something I aspire towards, but that, that focus on the long term and ignore short-term volatility is the best advice I've ever been given. When I, when I do it, I'm much happier with my results. Kevin, I understand what you're saying. Unfortunately, it's uh, for most of us, uh, the patience it requires can, can be <laughs> very challenging at different times here. Uh, you're a professor. What book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? You know, I, I read two really good books by Michael Lewis, and uh, I, I think the book, um, The Big Short, is instructive because it demystifies and explains derivatives and hedge funds and the role of financial intermediaries in a way that's very manageable. In fact, I, I tried to copy 
not so much the anecdotes and humor that was in that movie, but I tried to copy stylistically the ability to demystify and express in simple language what some of these seemingly complex exotics do. So it's the big short by Michael Lewis is, is one of my favorites. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I read that book and not only that, it is one interesting read that uh, even for me, it's hard to fall asleep uh, while reading it here. So uh, here's a question out of the blue for you here. You're at Fordham university, not a, a university easy to get into. I presume you, 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 you teach graduate classes or uh, senior level classes. What, what, what level? I started out with the uh, graduate school, but today I teach uh, at the undergraduate uh, program and I teach courses that range from introductory courses to the more advanced derivative and exotic and alternative investment courses. Okay. And so we, we can easily say you're training tomorrow's business leaders. Okay. What traits would you like to see them focus on and develop? You know, curiosity is, is paramount. You want inquisitive minds, so is attention to detail and a willingness to work hard. Now, I'm fortunate that most of the students who attend Fordham and, and take the courses related to alternatives, you know, that they come to us eager to develop those skills and apply themselves. And I believe our role as, an, as educators is to merely help them tap into those skills and expose them to new and exciting content or ways of thinking. A great point. So, so again, go over those curiosity. What was the second one? Attention to detail okay. and, a, and a willingness to do the work. You know, you, yeah. you have to look below the headline to understand investments and to understand risk, et cetera. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. So Kevin, uh, uh, tell us how can uh, anybody in our audience obtain the book? Really easy. You just go to Amazon dot com and type in the title exotic alternative investments and my last name m i r a b i l e okay good irish background huh <laughs> <laughs> i say that because uh paul our producer is is from ireland here so final words for our listeners. And again, Kevin, uh, this, this is fascinating stuff. And not only that, but, but I mean, anybody can stay busy for weeks and weeks and weeks and longer on end pursuing these things with, with uh, great, great interest and curiosity. So final words for our listeners here on uh, your, your exotic alternative investments. Well, let me thank you, Charlie, and your viewers for the, for the time. You know, I hope our chat has provided some understanding and perhaps some uh, interest in these investments that previous, previously may have seemed uh, too risky or not accessible. I, I hope that the viewers enjoy the book and find it uh, useful. And in the end, I hope that the work they do in this space uh, enhances their portfolios. It's a pleasure to be here and thanks for having me. Kevin, thank you very much. And we'd like to uh, express our best wishes to you for the book's success and your continued success to teach curiosity, hard work, and attention to detail to those good students there at Fordham University. So thanks again for being here and uh, best of luck to you. Be well and stay safe. Thank you. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we've been talking with Kevin, Dr. Kevin Mirabile, of Fordham University and his book, Exotic Alternative Investments. 
I'm Charlie Wright. We'd love to hear from you. Info at strategicinvestorradio.com is uh, where we'll get to us. And you can access all of our previous interviews and shows at strategicinvestorradio.com. We're wishing you a most enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host Charlie Wright or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing. And